What's going on, everybody? This is another episode of Adventures in DevOps, and we're about 45 minutes into this conversation, and uh, I'm just now hitting the record button. So there you go. We're going to recap it, see if we can bring you up to speed. I'm joined in the studio today with Jonathan Hall. Hey, guys. And Jillian Rowe. Hi, everybody. And I'm Will Button. I'm the pseudo-acting host for today until security comes in and escorts me out. So power. <laughs> I got to figure out how to do the sound effects that Chuck used to do, though. Just use your mouth. It's easier. <laughs> I'm going to beatbox. Put a little note, like insert, insert sound effects here for the editor. <laughs> insert intelligent conversation here. I do that with my video editor. For the guy who edits my YouTube videos, I'll just say stuff to him on camera while it's recording. They're like, hey, Colin, I'm really thinking about doing this here. And he's He's been really good at, at doing that. We've not had a single oh, instance. Editor. Yeah, I'll send you his contact info. Jonathan's doing some trial work with him. Uh, he's, he's working on my, he's doing my first editing job uh, right now. It's today, I think. Nice. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, so we got into the conversation of YouTube because we started talking about digital nomad, remote work, and both Jonathan and Jillian, both of y'all have done the digital nomad thing. I was going to do it until... I sold my house, sold all my stuff, was getting ready to go and looked down at the two dogs staring at me like, do we get to go too? And then... The puppy eyes. Yeah, seriously. And I'm like, you guys can't go, but I'll wait. And that's been like three years. <laughs> are you waiting for him to kick the bucket or, or to run away? Or what are you waiting for? Yeah. Take them with you. Like, because like, they're both... And bring them along. They're both... 12 or 13 years old and they've they've spent their whole life with us and they're used to having their own backyard and their own swimming pool and they're kind of set in their ways and that would be a pretty big shift for them yeah it'd be a shift for them to get used to the traveling lifestyle and one of them he's it's actually a tag team effort he's part pit bull but he's super friendly but he can only focus on one thing at a time meanwhile the, the female she's uh like a border collie mix or something and she's really jealous 
And so she'll get jealous about something and he'll be like, oh, it's time to fight. Yeah, let's go. It's like, no, 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 it's not time to fight. But he's got that single track mind. So yeah, they're pretty set in their ways. I have to wonder, and I'm struggling with how to ask this. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll just Delicately. Ask, how do you sell a house and then remember that you have dogs? It's, I mean, it's not like you left the house without your keys. No, because we thought we thought we would be able to make it work by letting them go stay with our kids who were no longer at home. But it turns out they're just more mobile than what the dogs need for this stage in their life. It's not like it's not like we really truly forgot about them. But um, when Fair you enough. when you back up to the ten thousand foot it view, a, it, it is a better story than what you told it the first time. <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't say a lot for your your credibility as a, a, a planner. <laughs> uh, you know that's probably <laughs> accurate. <laughs> I got really good at troubleshooting outages because I figured it was easier to just figure out what's wrong when it's broken than to try to prevent that from happening at first. I think I won't be hiring you next time I need a stable uh, computer system. Yeah, that's fine. But when it's down at 2 a.m., I'm your guy. (laughs) I am your guy. (laughs) Good to play to your strengths, though. No, just keep on that. So speaking of not being good at planning and digital nomadism, I loved that aspect of it. So... For context, I was a digital nomad for about two years, maybe two and a half years, mostly in Central and South America and Europe while working for an American company. But you know, I I, I lived out of a carry-on carry-on luggage and a, a small day pack with a laptop in it. And as I was saying before we started recording, I, I found that incredibly liberating. I had sold my I had a I had a nice house in the U.S. I sold it, I sold all my Dodge Ram, my Volkswagen, and. Uh, Donated everything that I couldn't sell at the thrift at the at the garage sale. I sold, I just donated to Goodwill, and uh, the only thing I didn't liquidate or, or get rid of was my collection of old eight bit computers, which is still in my house. <laughs> I have like three or four Commodore sixty fours, Vic twenties, C one twenty eights, Atari four hundred. I have a whole bunch, a whole collection of of that old stuff. That's the only stuff I didn't get rid of. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the aspect of not planning ahead i mean i would i would frequently buy a one-way ticket someplace and not know like like okay my visa lets me stay three months or six months so at some point in the next three to six months i have to leave the country i don't know where i'll go or when you know sometimes i had plans if it, there was a, a work meeting coming up you know a work conference or something like that. But otherwise it was very open-ended i flew in i flew from london to lisbon one time with a one-way ticket thought if i like lisbon i'll stay if i don't i'll i'll go somewhere else in a week and I, I, I house hopped on Airbnb one week at a time for three months before I ended up leaving Lisbon. So, you know, <laughs> right I'm not on. necessarily good at planning very far ahead either. You know, I was about to call you out on that as soon as you had a, a break <laughs> in the conversation there. It's like, whoa, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jillian, you were digital nomad for a while as well, right? Pre-kids. Yeah, yeah. Three kids, uh, we were pretty digital nomad. We lived basically like, uh, out of a couple suitcases. We did, we were mostly in the US. We lived in Sudan. We were kind of, uh, all, all over the place for a little bit. But yeah, we did like road trips back and forth across the US. At that time, I wasn't real good at getting the whole like working and having a job thing to be especially stable. <laughs> so my, I think my parents thought like I was a bit of a bum at the time. Like, you know, geez, she has college education and owns two pairs of pants and lived out of a suitcase. Like what happened? Here? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it all worked out, and I did. I did eventually settle down, and you know, I have a house full of stuff and kids and all that kind of thing. 
And I was saying this a bit before the show, but now like my kids are getting to be a little bit older. They're still, they're still little. Okay, my, my babies are still little, but you know, they're a little bit more independent and we're kind of thinking about doing it again because it was just, it was so much fun. And I think it would be uh, really enriching for my children as well. And now that online school is such a big thing, which by the way, I never, ever, ever in a million years would have chosen to do homeschooling or online schooling. But since I was forced into it, I really like it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe in the next year or two, you'll hear from me doing that again. I already kind of do because I'm American and I live in Doha, Qatar because my husband works here. He has a job here. But because we're American and a lot of my business is based out of Boston, which is like the biotech hub of potentially the world, but particularly New England, I end up going back and forth between there a lot. And of course, you know, like my family and you know my sisters and stuff are there. So I want to I want to be there quite a bit. Right. Jillian, when you were a nomad, were you using just a carry-on? Uh, were you flying or driving mostly, or, or what was your transport mode? Driving when we were in the U.S., flying flying other places. Yeah, like when we were in Sudan, I guess we did have a car. It wasn't a very reliable car, but there was a car to be had. The, the reason I'm asking is I spent several months before I, I went out researching how to travel as lightly as possible. And I came to the conclusion that it's easier for a man than a woman. If you want to dress and present yourself in the way society expects, in, re- in terms of like shampoo and, and uh, makeup and dresses, you know, I, I feel like a, I feel like a guy generally can wear the same outfit three days in a row and not get the same sort of scorn that a woman will get for wearing the same outfit three days in a row. So I'm curious how you dealt with this aspect of digital nomadism. But if you're driving, maybe it wasn't much of a concern because you weren't trying to get everything done to a single bag. I mean, I'm not particularly fashionable. So I think maybe that just wasn't such an issue for me. I've never really felt an awful lot of scorn from not being very fashionable or anything like that. I have pretty nice family and nice friends and they're all just kind of accepting, you know, you know, like family and friends. What's that? You, I know, right? Well adjusted people. You do you. I'm looking this uh, up on I Wikipedia. Do. I'm not familiar with the term either. I, know, I, know. Oh, I do. I do really like. All I hope our families aren't listening. Right? <laughs> and all that kind of thing. So, but then I, I tend to get the smaller ones. Like I'll get, you know, you can go to like Walmart or Target or wherever, and they have nice like travel size yeah. things. So that did that. And then my other favorite store is a store called Lush, which they're really good with having travel. Like everything, they have travel like shampoo and soap bars and face scrubs and everything. And that's, that's, I mean, they're also just known as being a nice cosmetic store, but, um, that's also really what they're known for is having nice things for women who like to travel and will go and, you know, blow some cash at Lush. I love them. They're so great. And they send me coupons for my birthday. I especially love stores that send me coupons for my birthday, which is not so good for the whole digital nomad thing, but it's excellent for me now. <laughs> Can't hit nudge, nudge. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Listeners. <laughs> no, I want to jump in there and throw out a recommendation for anyone considering this for Dr. Bronner's 18 in one peppermint soap. I used to like way long time ago, I would do multi day mountain biking trips, which hygiene becomes an issue after three or four days. And so I came across this stuff. It's Dr. Bronner's 18 in one peppermint soap and it's in it's all it's vegan which don't eat it but the important part about that is it's environmentally friendly so you can go to a nearby stream if you don't have some other place to shower and it's super concentrated so a little bottle will go a long ways and you can use it to wash yourself wash your clothes wash your dishes it's just good for everything 
and it's peppermint. So after you wash off with it, you get that peppermint feel on your skin and it's like built in air conditioning. I love that. I'm really disappointed that you can't eat it. I, I was really looking forward to a bar of something. I know, it would be especially like if it's peppermint flavor. I, I think you, I mean, it's got to be edible because they say it's vegan. I would just was throwing that out as a recommendation, not a judgment. Oh, well, gasoline <laughs> could be vegan too. Right? <laughs> 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 but just imagine if you know it's your shampoo, it's a bar of soap, it's your toothpaste, and it's an energy bar. Wait, would gasoline be vegan? Because isn't that dead dinosaurs? Well, I guess it depends on, on how you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like there a, is there a time a time window there? I don't know. I think it gets pretty fuzzy at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably largely dead uh, palm trees and, and moths and stuff too. I guess. But True. Yeah. Could you actually determine what percentage of it was dead dinosaur? I don't think so. And were the dinosaurs free range organic? <laughs> I'm sure they were. <laughs> so oh, when y'all were pretty vicious, when y'all were nomads, did you pursue and engage with new clients, or did you have one client gig that carried you throughout that time? What did the work environment look like? I have to preface this with a big disclaimer that I don't know if what I did was technically legal. And so you should not do this <laughs> without consulting. We do not offer legal advice on this Your attorney now. and or accountant. <laughs> this is not financial advice. <laughs> I was uh, a full-time employee for an American company uh, the entire time. They, they knew I was traveling. To the best of my knowledge, I did not break any laws. I, I was continuing to pay taxes in the U.S. as though I was living there. I maintained an address there. It is possible that I may have violated the tax rules of some local jurisdictions by working there without paying taxes. So that that's where this comes up. But that, that's how I did it. If on paper, I was a tourist in these countries using tourist visas, or in many cases, they didn't even ask for visa. You're just like, yeah, you can come in as long as you leave within 60 days or whatever the time frame is for the country. So that's what I did. I, I just had regular employment in the U.S., through a U.S. company, into a U.S. bank account, and did things that way. Right on. I was a student. I was doing my master's degree, which involves some TA and prescribed school is weird. You're like kind of a student and kind of an employee. Not a very well-paid employee, but you know, you're an employee. So that was how I did that. And my master's degree was completely online. Oh, wow. Right on. So now going forward, I think all of us have expressed some interest in a bit more mobility. Let's talk about clients from that perspective. And I specifically bring it up because, again, the first 45 minutes of this podcast, no one hit the record button where no one equals will. But we were talking about getting clients and using YouTube because we all have YouTube channels. Y'all have podcasts. I don't. But so we're using that. As, today, though. What's that? I said you're the master for this one today, though. I know, and it's starting to show. They <laughs> <laughs> don't let it go to your head. Right. So no, we were talking about using YouTube as a, we were talking about YouTube in general. And Jillian, you mentioned the money that you made off of YouTube. And I specifically asked about monetizing that through YouTube ads. And you're like, no, no, not no, but no, really no. You that That's a source of clients for you. Yeah, I don't even know that I would monetize it because I feel like that kind of makes it look like uh, I'm sort of scrounging for pennies, whereas I like to appear as you know being more expensive than that because I found I found that's a nice like. (laughs) 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 Well, I found like after the first like six months or something after I started consulting, I stopped getting people uh, getting like cheap people coming to me trying to get me to 
do their ridiculous gigs for like no money. And they were like, we know that you're expensive, but that you're worth it. So I, I like to keep like maintaining that kind of image. So I don't, I don't even know that I would do the YouTube monetization. But yeah, I do. I have, I mean, I have a YouTube channel. I haven't focused on it much lately. I really need to get back to creating more content. But yeah, it's, it's generated a ton of leads for me, some very, very good leads and leads that have led to other leads and, you know, very high quality and things like that. So I think that's great. Just um, just to make a quick point about, you know, if you're kind of hearing about this and you're thinking, I want to work remote, I think maybe one of your best bets is cloud native startups. Because if they're on the cloud, they don't have an in-house data center that you have to deal with. And if they're startups, they might be a lot more open to being remote than like Microsoft or, you know, at, like, I don't know, like more established companies. I, overall, I find that they're not as open to being remote. All that is changing with COVID, but I don't keep up on it that much. Right. So... I have two answers to, to this topic. The first is what I do. And the second is what most people probably should do. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've tested the other way. Trust me on this one. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes, people. So what I do is very similar to what Jillian is describing. I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast. I get leads from... So my YouTube channel is mostly a copy of my podcast in video form. So... From here on, I'm going to speak to them as, as about them as though they're the same, even though I, I have a few videos that aren't podcasts, and, but I have definitely gotten leads from my podcast. So, and, and that's a really great thing to do. If, if you want to become an independent consultant or even just be seen as an expert in your field, there is no better way I know than to do a podcast or a YouTube your channel. And, and the simple reason is because of the, I think they call it asymmetric intimacy. intimacy that you that you develop. Those of you listening to, to us today, we've never met you, almost certainly. <laughs> we don't know who you are. <laughs> you could you could run into us at the supermarket and maybe you'd recognize our voices and say, hey, is that you, Will? Or is that you, Jonathan? And we'd be like, who the hell are you? That's asymmetric intimacy. Security. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'd be totally cool with it. Do it. No, I, I would too. I mean, you're welcome to come up to me and, and, and say something. That's cool. And I, I remember the first time I was at Meetup and somebody said, Oh, Jonathan, I read your blog post. That was so amazing. You know, that, that sort of, that sort of recognition is cool. But okay, listen, point, a meetup or like a conference or something like that, that would be okay because there's a context. Yeah. Like me right. in the grocery store with my kids. That, that's like, we're, I'm just going to have to draw the line there. Note to sell. No approach to the market. Thank you. So anyway, so the point is, the point is that you build this sort of, Asymmetric intimacy, and I remember one of my the people I was uh, that found me through my podcast when we in, uh, when we got on the call together that he paid me for. He's like, "You don't know me, but I know you." I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point is, if you're trying to build that sense of authority that that uh, uh, that that you know what you're talking about, and then people trust you, that's the thing, the key. If you want people to trust you for your your experience, a podcast or a YouTube video is is gold. But it's a long game. This isn't yeah. something you're gonna just like. Oh, I started a podcast last week. Look, I got 10 clients. That doesn't, that's not how it works. I also blog daily or it's a daily email list that is also available on my website. So I do that. It's, that's a really good way to sort of get ideas out there and bounce things off the community and, you know, learn, learn since, you know, what, what sticks, what ideas are popular, which ones aren't, stuff like that. So that's mainly how I build my audience now. And I agree with Jillian. I would not want to monetize my YouTube channel for this purpose because my goal is to give away information. I don't feel like what I have to offer my clients is a, a bright idea. I mean, I I will gladly write or blog or YouTube or podcast about anything, any advice I would give a client. It's not my secret sauce. My secret sauce is 
is not my ideas. It's, it's executing on those ideas. So if I can give you some information that's going to be good to you for free, I'm happy to do that. Ask me a question. If you're listening now and you have a question for me, send me an email. I'll, I'll, I'll write back. I'll put it on my blog. I'll put it on my YouTube channel, whatever. That's what I do. But I'm trying to build a consultancy business and brand and so on. That's what I want. Many, many people don't want that, but they may want to be a digital nomad. So this is where the, the advice for what most people should be doing comes in. And that is look for a remote job. And, and I have a few recommendations, places I've looked. Uh, before I was doing consulting, Stack Overflow Jobs Board is a great place. They have a filter for remote or not. Remote okay. Is it dot com? Look it up here. It's dot io. Remote okay dot io is a job board for remote jobs. As far as I know, it's both US and Europe and maybe it's worldwide. I'm not sure. I'm certain there are other job boards out there. Do a search for remote jobs and, and you'll find several, but that's what I would recommend doing. Find a regular ish job. It could be freelance. It could be employment. It doesn't matter. Often it's going to be freelance regardless, just because you're being paid from another country where it's too complicated to set up an employment contract. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be freelance by default. Whether they treat you that way is another question, but they, at least on paper freelance, that's my main advice to somebody wanting to do this is get a job from a company that wants to be remote. If that's not an option because you don't have enough experience to get one of those jobs or something like that, or you don't want to leave your job, see if your current company would allow you to go remote. Of course, during COVID, that that whole situation is different than it was before. <laughs> Maybe you're already remote, but they expect you to be in the same town. And if you ask to leave time zones, they would frown on you. I don't know. But it never. It, it usually doesn't hurt to ask. Maybe it would hurt in some cases. But generally, if that's what you want, you can ask. Yeah. So I'm going to stop rambling now. Cool. I want to jump in with something. Oh, go ahead, Jillian. Go ahead, Bob. No, 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 you go ahead. Okay. I wanted to go back a couple minutes in there where you were talking about people asking you questions, send you those questions, talk about your idea because the idea is not the magic sauce. I think that's a really incredibly important concept to relay. There's a guy named uh, Derek Sivers who wrote a blog post many years ago saying that the idea is just the multiplier. So like if you have this brilliant idea, it can be worth 10, but the execution of that idea is worth a thousand. And so an idea is never worth anything more than 10 bucks. It's execution on that idea that produces millions or billions of dollars. And so I know I get contacted on a pretty regular basis with people who want to have private email conversations or direct messages with me because they're trying to protect that idea. And so this I just wanted to highlight that don't be scared of sharing your ideas because even if someone else hears your idea and they're like, oh, I'm going to steal that. It's your idea. They can't out execute you on it. So and and the the benefits for sharing your idea publicly and getting feedback is going to cut down your iteration cycle, allowing you to execute faster on it than if you hold this thing close to your heart and never get any feedback on it until you feel like it's perfect. I think the only time it makes sense to keep an idea secret is if you have invented uh, cold fusion or something so dramatically breathtaking that it needs a patent. Yeah. And that's not to say that no listeners will ever do that. But it's it's rare. That that's not the kinds of ideas that I work with. You know, I'm talking about how, <laughs> how can I do a better stand up or or should I do a stand up and and how can we how can we deliver to production faster? You know, there's no patentable ideas in there. So there's nothing worth guarding in the in the line of work I do. If you're working with, with nuclear fission, you know, that's another story and I don't have any advice for you. But in DevOps it's rare that you have an idea that 
needs patent protection. I need a CICD pipeline for my fusion reactor. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. I can imagine somebody actually calling you up for that. It just being like, listen, I'm not adult enough for this kind of thing, okay? Like, you need to find somebody else. I was a nuclear our, engineer. Our particle, accelerator, our particle accelerator is already sending these things to the speed of light. How can we speed up production? Yeah. I was a nuclear engineer in the Navy, so I kind of think I could pull that off. I mean, it's been a few years, but... There's so many things I don't know about you. You can pack something together. Yeah, it's probably best not to know a lot about me. <laughs> it just goes downhill from here. <laughs> okay, anyway, Jillian, you were saying... I did have some kind of points, and then I forgot about it. I think, oh, it was on the, um, like, this idea of, like, protecting your ideas and getting kind of precious about that. I used to be really concerned about that, especially when I first went out on my own, because I had this idea I was going to do like training and info products. Because I used to do a lot of training in my last job, but I really enjoyed it. So that was like what I was going to do. And I could never quite get that to work out. And one of the things that always really bugged me was like this constant sort of push and pull in my head of like, well, what am I going to give away? And what am I going to, what am I going to put behind a paywall? Especially because, uh, you know, I'm very committed to open source software and reproducible research and, you know, and like just even ethically, all the uh, all the things behind that, and uh, also all the opportunities that I really feel like it creates for people. So now I don't do any of that anymore. Everything is out on my website. If it's something I build a lot, I generally build it as software and release it as open source. On my website, I do have like a couple things that are for sale because companies with budgets will occasionally buy team licenses of those, but they're always free for like anybody. Like if you ask, you go onto my website and you see something and you're like, I want this, and I don't have a company credit card. Just email me. I will give it to you. So yeah, there's that. And then also, even if you don't want to start like a, you know, like a consulting company or you don't necessarily want to go freelance, I think having some kind of content out there, whether that's, you know, like a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel, it's just like, it's huge. It's so important. I couldn't believe the kind of feedback that I got from having a blog. Like, I think I blogged once or twice a week. And after six months, like the job requests just started flooding in and I still get them all the time which is, you know, some pretty awesome, just like nice knowing for my life in general, if things ever go downhill with my consulting company, which they almost did a couple of weeks ago, that I could just go and just get a job. <laughs> and, you know, it would be okay. And not just a job, like I could, I have choices. I could get a good job. I'm not just stuck in a really terrible situation. If you've ever been like just feeling really stuck in a job or something, because, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. Most of us need money. Some, you know, a lot of us have some kind of financial responsibility. We all have bills and things like that to pay. Like it's very easy to be kind of castle in the sky about things, but the reality is that most of us need jobs. So you may as well try to make sure that you can have like the best job that you can with the most you know, that fits your life and what you want out of it the most. And for me, that's remote work. I can't really imagine myself getting a job where I have to actually like show up for meetings and things like that. But, you know, it might be different when I reach a different stage in my life. I might decide, okay, you know, maybe I have some kind of project that I'm really excited about and I really do want to execute on that idea. So I take a job in person for, I don't know, you know, like however long I do that. So yeah, really, even if you don't want to start consulting or contracting or freelancing, there are plenty of companies now that do fully remote work. You can be you know, you can have your health insurance and retirement and equity and, you know, like all, all the usual things that you get with a job, but you can do it remote if that's what you want to do. But I really still recommend podcasts, blog, YouTube channel, something, start something and start just sharing the information. I want to, I want to jump in on, on the blog idea. I, I blogged for years before I did podcasts or anything like that, but I was very irregular. Basically, I would sort of write how to's to my future self. Like I figured out how to do this thing. <laughs> And I don't want to forget in case I want to do it again in three years. So I would just turn this into a blog. And I, I, I really should have written this post. Maybe I will someday. But I, I want to 
title my my post how I earned two hundred fifty thousand dollars by blogging, <laughs> and the idea is I these blog posts nobody ever reads them until I apply for a job, and then the hiring manager goes looking for your blog, especially if you put it at the top of your CV. They don't know how many readers you have. They don't know that I had three visitors per month for the last you know twenty years. But they go read that. And they go, oh, Jonathan, he wrote about this thing. He he figured this thing out, and you know these six things over the last year or whatever it was. Though, and I have gotten my blog has been mentioned in almost every job interview I've done in the last ten years. And I, I know that it got me that it was uh, a very strong reason that I got one of my one of my jobs. Uh, and, and I know it's contributed to the other jobs I've done. So even if you aren't a good writer. You don't have to even write good English. Just write about what you're doing. If, you, if English is not your first language, that's fine. Just write something. And, and if you want to blog in your native language, that's fine. As long as the people who might be hiring you speak that language, write a blog. Don't worry about punctuation and grammar. I mean, don't don't be bad on purpose, but don't let that stop you. Just blog. You can always go back and edit it if you once you uh, if you discover an error later on. There's no problem. So it's really valuable oh, yeah. as a job search uh, tool. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. For the dyslexic among us, Grammarly. Go sign up for Grammarly. It is so, I love Grammarly. It's so awesome. I still wish it had been around when I was in school and actually had the right stuff. Also, if you're in tech, you can probably, you know, and you're concerned about writing or anything like that, diagrams. Picture is worth a thousand words, guys. Like, you can have a whole blog post that's basically just explaining a diagram. Or just try to make the diagram self-explanatory and put as little text as possible. That's another plan. Yeah. No, I had a version of Grammarly growing up. I called him Dad. <laughs> My dad was a professional writer, so he was always looking at everything I wrote. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No pressure there, <laughs> and, right? And I was homeschooled, so he, <laughs> he thought everything I wrote anyway. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I'll have to ask you about that then, since I'm considering doing that with my kids full-time. Even if you're opposed to writing... Homeschooling, no. So even if you're opposed to writing, you can still just hit record on your phone upload that to YouTube and then embed that in your your blog page. Or you can use, um, if you want a written version of that, you can use uh, rev.com. They'll transcribe it for you. So there's there's tons of options for creating content in any format that feels most comfortable to you. Yep. But I, I agree. Yeah, with, and you really yeah. don't have to have like a big production. You know, like I have, I have a podcast called Data Science Deployed. We live stream and call it a podcast. Like there is, like I got like a free logo from one of these logo generators. Um, I bought a domain name, and that that was it. That's like that's the production quality of the podcast. But it's, it's done well. It's gotten new leads. So do it. Go create content in some form. Yeah, I think that's especially helpful too if you're just getting started in DevOps. You know, that's one of the hardest things to crack. Is a lot of people want experience. DevOps candidates, 
And so it's, it's tough. How do you get DevOps experience without a job? How do you get a job without DevOps experience? And I think this is one of the things that can give you the skills that you need and demonstrate those skills to potential employers. Open source software. I know I kind of harp on it a lot, but it's because I really think like open source software is kind of a, the great equalizer of tech because any, like anybody can get, anybody can go sign up for a GitHub account. Anybody can get involved. Most projects desperately need people to do triage or like even like documentation requests and things like that. Oh, hey, I had trouble with this thing and I figured it out. It's like, awesome. Please submit a documentation request so that you can talk about how you solve this problem and, you know, and this project, all this kind of thing. So I think that's uh, another really excellent answer to how do I get experience without a job? Go find a project to contribute to. Yeah, many of them will apply labels to their open issues. And one of the labels will be uh, help wanted or another one might be good first time. And so you can sort by issues that the maintainers of the repo think will be good issues for someone just looking to get started to work on. I was actually recently wrote about this topic. I I think it's going to come out tomorrow's email as we're recording this. But I was writing about my experience getting involved in open source. And back in 2015, I started playing with (laughs) CouchDB. At the same time, I started playing with Go, actually. And uh, the CouchDB documentation was so confusing. And it was poorly written. It had a lot of grammatical errors and and just invalid. Like, maybe it was outdated or it was missing or it was just wrong information in the doc. So I started submitting pull requests to their, they had a, they have their docs posted on GitHub. So I started submitting pull requests and they started accepting them. Of course, you know, they asked me to tweak a few things here and there, but I was like, oh, this is really cool. This open source project is willing to let me improve their documentation. And I have found that most open source projects will do that. I have, I have my name. I have my name in the Terraform. I have my name in the Terraform repository for documentation fixes. I have my name in the Kubernetes repository for documentation fixes. These are big projects that aren't just like run by hobo hobbyists, right? Yeah. Uh, these are big projects and they accept fixes. So if you're learning a new technology, an open source technology, a framework, a language, a tool, read the documentation and submit fixes. They, they won't all get accepted. I'll promise you that. I, I have many pull requests that didn't get merged, but many, many will. And this is a really Blog easy post. way to get your name. Yeah. If you if they don't take a pull request, write a blog post about it and say I found this in the documentation it was wrong and I can I fix it with this. This is how I did it. Get involved that way. You don't. And, oh, and then the, the story ends this way. After doing this for about a year, the Couch to Do project emailed me and said we'd like to invite you to become a committer on our project. <laughs> so I got commit access. I, I actually have commit access to CouchDB, which is written in a language I've never used. It's written in Erlang. I don't know any Erlang at all, but I have the access to go commit to it if I want to. <laughs> of course, it would get reverted the next minute because somebody who does know her later would go, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And then later, they even promoted me to a mm-hmm. member of the project management committee. So I, I'm one of 16 people on this Apache project. Doesn't that look good on a CV? And I have never written a line of Erlang in my life. You don't have to necessarily write code to contribute to open source and put some good credentials on your CV if you want. I think that's a perfect, perfect example, perfect use case that so many people need to hear right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like I have kind of a similar story where um I started contributing to this group called Bioconda, which builds bioinformatics software for the Conda package manager. And initially I was just, you know, like contributing because I was like, oh, this is great. I want all of our software in Bioconda. So I spent like, I don't know, like a couple months and the, you know, the people on the team were so nice and so helpful about getting stuff on there. And then eventually they asked me, oh, do you want to be a core team member? And of course the answer to that was yes. And then, so then I wound up being a core team member, which I can put on my CV and my website and all that kind of thing. Although now, 
I'm a rather slacker core team member, but I'm never giving that up until they kick me out. But uh, I also got my name on a paper in Nature Methods, which in my field is is a pretty, like, it's a very big journal. It's a big deal to have um, your name on a paper in there. So, like, Isn't if that you the Google me. magazine I used to <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's a science journal. One of the most famous ones. It's a big deal, Jonathan, okay? It's a big deal. <laughs> We might have to edit that out. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Not quite the family-friendly content. <laughs> I don't know. The nudist I always hang out with are very family-friendly. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've never hung out. With, I've, 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 I've never hung out with nudists. Please edit this out. Sorry. <laughs> That's going to become like the opening clip for the beginning of this episode. <laughs> wow, there's just an awkward pause right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll I'm so sorry. I completely derailed the conversation. That would have been better in person. I know. It's a good story about me and I know. a good journal. It's so great. Now it's all ruined, Jonathan. It's okay. All right. Well, moving on. So do we have any other advice for, uh, you know, people that maybe either, I suppose we've covered two use cases, people who are just getting started and want to get a remote job or people who have a job and want to get a remote job. I'd say both of those are the same. Contribute to open source software and start some kind of content channel. Really, like whichever side of those you're on, like just go start building stuff and talking about it. Yeah. It's hard to go wrong that way. Also, if you haven't read it, uh, read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek from Tim Ferriss. He's got some tips on how to pull off remote work there. Although his tips are more designed towards, uh, I'm going to make this a remote job without really telling anyone. So mm-hmm. I'll let you discover that in the book, but they're pretty effective. So I've heard. I like his advice, though. It's very, it's very much like, be so good they can't ignore you, which is something that I've always taken pretty seriously because this whole thing is like, be so good that if you just say like, hey, I think I'd be even more, I'd be even better if you let me work from home a couple days a week. And I think overall, that's very good advice. That was actually how I got my first completely remote job was that I was working for someplace and we were moving because my husband got a job someplace else. And I was like, all right, well, it's been real. Bye. And then they, they offered to keep me on as remote. And I was one of just like a very few remote employees. But that was how I got the first um, like full time remote job was doing that. Not on purpose. Like my husband just got a job someplace else and we we're going to move. Right. But I do, I like a lot of the advice in that. And that sort of brings me back to a point that we were talking about before the show, before we hit record, which is like, okay, so say you're in sort of this scenario where uh, maybe you have a job and you want to go freelance. And then as going freelance, you want to, it also wants to be remote freelance, let's say. You can start to make like these small bets and you can start to do it while you're actually at a job. So the first like six months that I started consulting, I was still working full time. And then the next six months, I was able to cut down to part time. So I did like two or three days a week at that job. Um, you know, two days, one week and three days the next kind of deal. And I did that by just like starting these small projects and very much the four hour work week style, like the, this idea of having a minimum viable viable product or project or something like that. Putting these out there, seeing what worked, what didn't. You know, at the time, because I had a job, I still had enough money flowing in that I was going to be okay. And I had some savings and stuff like that. But I, I took a very kind of, you know, paranoid and incremental approach because that's just, you know, that's just how I roll is with the anxiety and the paranoia on a day to day basis. So there's that. But you know, like, really, if you just if you keep kind of creating these projects and executing on them, eventually, you're going to hit something that's that's really going to work and it's going to be great. And either, you know, some company sees that and wants to pick you up so that you can continue to work on that. 
through them or it'll work out as kind of like your own sort of product guy startup kind of deal. And on that note, I think like now it's just, it's such a good time, I think, to be an independent consultant or an independent freelancer because the ability to create apps and get those out there in front of, in front of paying customers is just, is like better than it ever has been before. You can do things like you can sign up uh, through the AWS marketplace and there are like all kinds of DevOps services and projects. Some of it is professional services like consulting work and some of it is kind of specific like either SaaS apps or self-hosted apps or this kind of thing that you can do. In the data science world, I think this is really going to start to explode with data visualization applications. If you're not able to sell on the AWS marketplace because the number of countries that can sell is quite limited, you don't have to. You can go sign up for like... You know, like Gumroad or something. They don't, like if I wasn't able to do the AWS Marketplace, I'd probably do Gumroad. They don't take anything. Like there's no subscription until you actually start making money. So there's literally, you know, there's no risk to you. If you're not making any money through your products, they're not taking any money, which I just think is really, really great. And I've seen a lot of other tech products specifically selling through Gumroad, which I think is pretty cool. Like there's this one called, what is it? I use it for their Figma designs set product. They sell like Figma, which is this designs like mock-up web UI software. I'm sure they have a much nicer tagline. I'll try to find it. Uh, but you can buy these like, you know, like essentially all these mock-up templates and then you can combine them as needed. And I tend to do that a lot when I'm talking to clients and things like that. Initially, I'll start with just a prototype and Figma and stuff like that. And they sell all of their stuff through, through Gumroad. So you don't have to be like a registered seller on the AWS or, you know, any of the other cloud marketplaces or anything like that. Like there are so many places where you can get your products in front of paid customers now. I'll, I'll mention a couple of places I have put products in front of paid customers too that, that actually lend themselves really well to the other you talked about. Uh, one is LeanPub. Uh, I have a book that's only partly written. It's basically some blog posts that I've written, kind of reformatted, re-edited on a, on a particular topic. Uh, it's about uh, data serialization in the Go language. I've only sold maybe 10 copies, but uh, at 10 bucks a piece, so that's something. And it's more than my blog makes. And it and, and this goes back to the idea that my my ideas aren't my secret sauce. There's no, there's almost nothing in that book that isn't also on a blog post I've written. But you don't have to go search through my blogs you know, for the last five years to find that information. It's organized in a nice, neat way. And this is a really common thing I've seen bloggers do. A lot of much more prominent bloggers than myself. They turn blog, you know, they, they go for the last three years and take blog posts of a particular topic that are related to each other, turn it into an ebook or, or, or even a physical book. And I mean, as, as, if you can't afford that, <laughs> go read the blog. It's fine. You can spend the time to read the blog. If you can afford the 10 bucks or the 20 bucks or whatever, and you prefer the, the book format, you're going to pay for it. You know, it's not about hiding those good ideas from people who don't pay. It's more about presenting it in a way that you're willing to pay for. And I've done the same with a video course. I have a video course that I, I sell. I think I charge 50 euros for the video course. There's, again, almost nothing in the video course I haven't written about on my blog. So if you want to take the time to go through my last five years of my blog posts and read every one, don't pay for the video course. It's going to be a waste of your money. If you don't want to spend that time reading my blogs for the last three years, Maybe the, the five hour video course is a good way to save some time and spend 50 bucks to save the effort of doing that. So that's another really good approach, whether it's video or a Patreon or however you want to do it. Uh, an ebook, you could just set up a Stripe or PayPal and click here to, to download a PDF. You don't have to use a platform. You can roll your own. But that's a really easy way to take some of your ideas. Maybe they're ideas you haven't shared in other places. Maybe they are. 
uh, but you can put them in a format that people are willing to pay for to make some money that way. It also looks good. People don't know how much you sell. Like, you just look impressive if you have books. People are like, you have yeah. books? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. And we don't have to talk about the fact that my books are essentially blog series that I did. But then after the fact, I turned into a book, you know, using something like Sphinx or Jupiter book or something mm-hmm. to just compile it into a PDF and then throw it on my website, which is another point. So like if you're creating content, I think it's really helpful to start thinking in terms of series and then, you know, creating an outline, breaking that down. And then you can write like one post in the series. And then at the end, try to like bundle that up into something. And yeah, and again, just like Jonathan said, put it out there. I think mine is even self-published on um, Amazon. Amazon has a self-publishing platform. I forget what they call it. It's called like Kindle Direct or something. Even for yeah, physical KDP. books, they have one too. Yeah, that one. So I have one on there. And, you know, it's great. It gets my stuff out there. I know specifically I've had people come to me through, even through the Amazon book, because that'll get me, you know, on like a like a very different platform than people who maybe were never on my website to see my book on Amazon and then you know, the idea is hopefully they come to my website and then they want to hire me and, um, you know, fund all my hopes and dreams for condo decorating plans and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and an Airstream. And now it's on the Airstream website, by the way. Airstream is like a type of RV that I keep drooling over because I'm so sick of being stuck in my house during lockdown. They have a pottery barn Airstream. And it's just like, it's so cute and adorable. So anyways, guys, you know, I'm open for work for anybody who wants to fund those things. I build stuff. Biotech, Biotech HPC on AWS. There's got to be like a, a GoFundMe tie in there. <laughs> Hire you to fund your Airstream. Little little progress bar there showing how close you are to your goal. I've been trying to do this whole crowdsourcing thing lately, which I guess is another thing that we can talk about. So um, I have a GitHub sponsorship page set up. It is so hard to get people to pay like to sponsor the open source software itself, which is really weird because people will pay me money to do stuff. And I'm like, this is the software that I'm using. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to sponsor the software and then help to improve it and improve the documentation and this and that? And they're just like, no. No, we're good. <laughs> well, well done with that. Thank you. That brings up <laughs> an interesting topic. Did you see the, the NPM exploit that happened this last week? Uh, exploit isn't the right word. but Yeah, the Faker module. Yeah, there, there were two of Faker and Color, I think, right? Uh, I didn't know about color. I, yeah, the, the, basically, I, I think it was the same author, but he got tired of companies exploiting his free work labor and not paying him. So he basically sabotaged his own. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know there has been like a lot of drama in the NCM world lately, but I haven't been following it. I think that's the first of the more to come. You know, like whenever you run NPM install, a couple years ago, they started populating a little tag that pops up at the end of installs showing like 17 projects are looking for funding. Go to npmfund.org or whatever. I can't remember the exact wording of it. And and that number just keeps increasing because run, maintaining a popular open source package does take a lot of time and energy. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there is a breaking point where you're like, you know what? I'm just kind of done here. Yeah, really. I don't know how people like how people do it just on their own free time it's it's a ton of work i've always done it either like through through a job where you know we happen to need this open source software so we're contributing to it or now it's like well i'm building this myself for my own consulting practice anyway so like i need to have it anyways and here it is to the world but i've never i know some people they do it like completely in their free time for years and years and years and uh burnout man don't do that it's not a good I, I i have one that i do in my own free time i mean it's not usually popular i I think it has 200 or so stars on GitHub. 
and it's not a it, it's an SDK for Couch TP actually. <laughs> so it, it's not it's not something that changes rapidly or has you know it, it's not a huge time sink, but. Yeah, it definitely is. If I get a bug report, in fact, I just noticed recently I had a bug report that I hadn't noticed from like three months ago. So I, I kind of feel bad that I haven't responded to that thing. Yet. So um, yeah, it definitely is time commitment. And I've thought about putting a, a sponsorship thing on that uh, that project. I'm curious if you have considered Jillian including like some sort of service SLA with a sponsorship. Like I will respond to requests for this thing. Faster if you do the if you donate at this level. Yeah, I have one that's like I forget how much it is a month, but for you know x amount of dollars a month, you can put me in your Slack channel and I'll sort of be like an advisory person for you. Um, I don't know, no, no, nobody's gotten that. Although oddly enough, so then I started like tweeting about it, like I put it out on Twitter, and those tweets have gotten more engagement than anything else. So I think there is some sort of degree of like maybe people take it a bit more seriously because it has that spunk. Like people are like, oh, this is like a legit project that somebody is working on. So there might be that, or people are just you know trying to be nice and let me down gently. Like we're never going to sponsor this, but we'll retweet it for you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure a, what's happening. It's there. probably both, but it, it, it probably is true that having a nice looking sponsorship option probably lends credibility in the sort of the same way that having a book that two people have read lens printability uh, whether or not people actually sponsor you right yeah yeah absolutely like i still i don't know i mean it's, yeah to me it's like the same thing as having like the books and stuff up the books don't really make me very much money i think it would probably be pretty generous to say or you know not in and of themselves that like they pay for the cost of maybe hosting my website and that's about it but in terms of leads and you know kind of cloud on the internet that's where it's at so that's what we're going to have. I also think it's a very new thing for companies. Like some of the companies that I've asked, they've been like, you know, we would be interested in that, but we just don't have any kind of protocol or anything to even like deal with that because it's not, you know, like a commercial software where like there are very strict licensing terms and SLAs and all this kind of thing. They're just like, this is just all new territory for us. We just don't even know. So maybe it's, it's going to become more popular and we're just kind of all too early on the curve for it to have really caught on yet. I'm not sure. I'll report back. Maybe some. Maybe somebody on the show will want to sponsor. Bioanalyze guys on GitHub. Go. For my new career in e-begging and crowdsourcing. If you subscribe at a certain level, they get an autographed picture of you in front of the Airstream, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> How much do I have to donate to get to, uh, to the supermarket? Uh, <laughs> no. No, you guys can't do stuff like that. Uh-uh. <laughs> Cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, should we move on to picks? Sure. <laughs> it's unanimous. I never remember to get picks. I have two so picks ready. Like, all right. Do do? Start us off, Jonathan. Since we talked about digital nomadism, these are both on the topic of travel. I actually have three. Uh, the first one I'll do is, it's not a specific product, it's a material. My pick is merino wool. <laughs> merino wool is the material of the gods if you're traveling. It makes the best socks in particular and underwear because it never smells bad, no matter how many days you wear it without changing or washing. <laughs> That's a bold claim. It is. 
but I have proof. I'm not going to share the proof physically. <laughs> you know, my word for it. <laughs> but uh, so this is something I looked into when I was going to travel. Like I, I wanted clothes that I could easily wash in a hotel room without a washing machine and dry that would be dry the next morning. So merino wool has all these characteristics. You can, you can, it, it dries very quickly. It doesn't absorb moisture. And because it's wool, uh, it has antibacterial properties that prevent it from smelling bad. So if you wear a pair of merino wool socks, you don't have to be afraid to take your shoes off in a crowded airplane. You will not make your fellow passengers uh, nauseous by doing so. So merino wool is a great material. It's great for t-shirts, for socks, whatever. And it's super, super comfortable anyway. It's more expensive than cotton, but it's very comfortable. I think a pair of socks is usually 20 to $30 for a single pair of socks. So there is a price premium. But if you're traveling, it's worth it. Related, my favorite brand of underwear. It's going to go up. <laughs> my third pick is better. They do sell women's underwear. I don't know if it compares to men's underwear. So I hope I'm not discriminating too much. Uh, but the Loose Trading Company, their buck naked boxers are very comfortable they dry quickly they're they don't they're not made of merino wool they do sell a line that is but i don't like it quite as much but if you're trying to travel and you need boxers that will dry in about an hour hanging above the hotel uh, bathtub they're great for that and then finally you need to put your merino wool socks and your underwear in something when you're traveling and my my number one recommendation for that is the mei voyager backpack it's made from canvas it doesn't have wheels, which some people will think is a deal breaker, but it's actually great if you're trying to travel on an airplane carry-on because it's, because it's not rigid and it doesn't have wheels. You get maximum carrying capacity and you can cram it into tight spaces in airplanes and so on. It does have backpack like straps so you can put it on your back. Highly recommended. They're not the cheapest backpacks. You can get much cheaper backpacks at Walmart or something. They're about $200 for one of these. And you have to order it through the website. They don't sell in stores that I know of. So you have to order ahead of time. But uh, I have one. My wife has one. We use them every time we travel. They're super durable. And uh, they're just the best backpacks in the world that I've ever seen. So I'm done. Nice. Jillian, you need four minutes? I'm good. I think I'm just going to go with my Lush pick. Lush is awesome. It's a cosmetic store and they do have an awful lot of things if you like to travel. And I also just really like their cosmetics generally. Like I just, I spend entirely too much money at that store on uh, a fairly regular basis. And then I think everything else that I'm going to pick is just uh, kind of related to this new age that we all live in. I'm not necessarily, I'm definitely not happy about COVID, but I've actually been really happy about sort of the push towards remote work. And I hope that we get rid of a lot of cities because I think they're all like ecological and psychological horrors. And I just, I don't understand like, why does anybody ever want to go to New York? It, it's just, it's people on top of people on top of people. And I don't understand. <laughs> so anyways, uh, you know, my new plan is that the preppers had it right all along. And then I'm going to go buy some land in New Hampshire and have my air stream and just never leave ever, ever again, because there are way too many COVID cases. But, uh, but no, but you know, besides, besides sort of my general complaining, I do actually think it's really cool. Like I've brought this up a couple of times lately, but uh, my kids have been doing sort of homeschool slash hybrid slash online school, like, you know, flip the coin to see what they're doing. It's not something that I ever would have chosen to do myself, but since they started it, I just, I really like it. I think, um, I think it's really great, especially if you have older kids. I think it's given them a lot more time to kind of be creative and pursue their own projects, which I think is going to be great because you know of course i'm going to try to push my children into a career in tech so that they can support me in my old age and all that kind of thing but 
you know, like there's just, there's so much more that's possible, I think, in terms of lifestyle. If you have a remote career and a remote job, I really think it's possible to find kind of a career that you can optimize so that if you want to work less, like, you know, kind of do what I do, where I do the bomb gig, I don't really tend to work more than 20 to 30 hours most weeks. And that's possible because I do the consulting and because I do the, you know, because I do the remote work. So yeah, that internet, I don't know, just people becoming sort of, I think, much more aware of this. It's, I, I feel like it's a lot less weird than when I first started out and my parents definitely thought that I was like a total bum. I think now people are much more accepting of it. So that's all good. That's it. Those are my tips. Oh, and my Kindle. I need my Kindle. When I travel, I have to have my Kindle. Excellent. So for me, I'm going to pick a couple of things that came up during the chat today. One, Dr. Bronner's 18-in-1 Peppermint Soap. Never leave home without it. If you haven't read Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek, that one is a really good read, not only for exploring the, the nomad lifestyle, but there's just a lot of good career and lifestyle advice in there, period. And then a personal promotion. I released a video a couple of days ago on what to do on your when you first start your new DevOps job. So like, you know, you start a new job and don't really know what to do and you kind of wait around, like break it down in the video and give you like some tasks and some overall like areas to focus on to like ground you and keep the imposter syndrome in check. So check that out. And then the last one, this book I've been reading, just really interesting from Ryan Holiday. You may know him from The Daily Stoic or Ego is the Enemy or The Obstacle is the Way. His first book I'm just now reading, it's called Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator. It's actually been super interesting to read and gain a different perspective on the news headlines and articles that we see in the media today. So that's a very... uh, very good read. Whether you agree with him or not, it's a good perspective to have. So there you go. And I believe that's a wrap. So we'll cut this off here. And it'll be interesting to see if after listening to this, Chuck joins us in the studio next week. <laughs> <laughs> how much this show is cut out. Right. It's been about an hour of actual recording. Let's see how long the actual episode is. Yeah, we're at an hour two and I'm going to hit the stop button and uh, y'all let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter or wherever your favorite social media profile is and let us know how long of the episode you made it through. All right. We'll see you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.